Medical Aviation Transport Podcast in three, two. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Title Health on Point. I'm Roger, your host. We have in the studio with us today a very familiar face. She's been with us a number of times, but most of the times that we have had Sarah Arnett here, we have been talking about COVID. Today, we're going to change that up a little bit and do something different. So please join me in welcoming back to the program, Dr. Sarah Arnett. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Roger. How are you? I am well. How are you? Good. Good, thanks. Sarah is our Chief Nursing Officer at Tidal Health Peninsula Regional. But before that, Sarah was and still is an RN. But what you may not know about her was that she was also a flight nurse. So we're going to talk about medical aviation today. Uh, and that's really interesting. I didn't know that about you. You didn't. I did not know that about <laughs> you until earlier this week that you were a flight nurse. So tell us about that. And how did you get involved in something like that? That was actually one of my most exciting roles as a nurse. Um, certainly as an ER nurse for numerous years, you worked interdependently with our flight teams, both the state police and our private entities that we work with very closely. Um, I also had critical care nursing experience um, at, from University of Maryland. And when I had an opportunity to apply for an open flight nurse position um, that was actually based out of Easton, um, not only was it close to home, um, I lived in Centerville at the time, but it was an exciting opportunity to join a new team of providers and um, a totally different experience than anything I had done before in healthcare. How long did you fly as a flight nurse? Oh, combined um, a little over a year and a half. Um, we had some changes with the company that I worked for. Um, so that led to, to me taking a different opportunity as well, but a little over a year and a half. And it was one of the most exciting things I think I've ever done. So we notice a lot of Maryland State Police, Delaware State Police helicopters that are landing at Tidal Health Peninsula Regional. But this was a private air ambulance company that you were working for. Yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And it was out of Easton? It, we flew out of Easton. Uh, the main base was actually in Baltimore for the company that I was working with for the Maryland uh, component of the company. Um, and they had bases throughout the, the United States. So we worked um, very closely and interdependently with one of the large hospital systems in Baltimore. Uh, but it was a private company that we worked for. So I've got a pretty good idea of what the uh, pilot does. <laughs> Aboard the helicopter. What does the flight nurse do? What were your responsibilities? So when you think of flight nursing, um, people may have a, a preconceived thought where we just kind of sit in the chair and we talk to the patient or we just kind of monitor them. We actually did a lot of intervention on our patients. Um, if we're being called, we were being called for people that had extraordinarily time sensitive needs. Um, so we were doing um, medication adjustments, pain control, um, ventilatory adjustments on a ventilator, things like that. Um, we took patients with balloon pumps and uh, ventricular assist devices. And so we were doing a lot of things in the short period of time that we were working with that patient. Um, the team that I worked with was myself or another nurse and then a paramedic as well. So uh, we did a kind of a tag team for the patient care. So drive time from Easton to let's say shock trauma University of Maryland is probably going to be somewhere in the area of about maybe an hour, hour and a half based on traffic. How quickly could you get someone there in the air? Uh, we could get them there once we took off in about 20 minutes or less, depending if we had a tailwind or we were facing a headwind. So um, a fraction of the time. So Sarah, of all the flights, and I'm sure there were hundreds for you as a flight nurse, are there any that really stick out, things interesting that may have happened during the flight? 
Well, uh, when I first started training um, with the first group of folks that I worked with, we actually trained uh, with some folks in D.C. and some of the flight teams in D.C. So we went um, down and flew real low past the Kennedy Center and through the river, which was really exceptional to see that by air because you don't get to see those things when you're driving by. Um, but as far as a as a patient encounter, the kids were always fun. They, you know, they were a little nervous and then you give them the fancy earphones with the piece where they can talk to you and they kind of realize that, Hey, I have a cool story to tell later too. Um, and then, uh, certainly, um, you know, you have those folks where you don't always know what happens to them after you drop them off and you find out that, you know, the person you really thought in your heart of hearts was not going to do well and not going to leave that hospital. Um, did really well and they went home, which is always a really nice thing. Um, and certainly to be able to, um, you know, follow up on patients when you have an opportunity, the ones that are significantly injured in a crash or, um, you know, have fallen or done something that um, led them to being in the helicopter. Um, it's always a nice feeling to, to be able to follow up and say that, you know, you are a part of, of their success. I never thought about this, but you're also probably part psychologist up there in the air, too. Um, and you're also the person that someone is, and if I put myself in that position, I've been critically injured. I'm awake. I'm alert. I know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I'm looking up, and I'm seeing you. Mm -hmm. So, God, this is going to make me cry. <laughs> um, um, let me try that again. Sure. So, I've been injured. I know... I'm in trouble. I know I'm in a helicopter and I know I'm there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And the person I'm looking up at is my flight nurse. Mm -hmm. How important is that for you to have that connection with that patient? It's actually a really nice connection with the patient because um, in most nursing settings, you, you don't get to dedicate yourself to one patient at one time. You're moving from patient to patient, um, always being distracted by other tasks that need to be done. And to be able to be with that patient and, and make them feel reassured, um, relax as much as you can, um, and certainly, um, you know, being flat, laying there looking up, um, you know, you you actually have a chance to really get to know them too, if they're able to talk to you. Um, we do give the pa or we did give the patients the um, the headphones with the microphone if they were able to talk to us, and that really helped um, have them relax as well because we could have a conversation and and um, you know banter back and forth or or learn a little bit about each other. You know, they would certainly ask questions of of us as well when they could. Um, but it it was always very nice to be able to dedicate yourself to that one patient and not have any distractions as far as um, other people needing your attention. And I would so. think that that reassuring voice is as important as any medication you ever mm -hmm. put in any patient. It is. And, and it's one of those things where, um, you know, even if, even if you were scared because the weather was getting bad or, um, you know, you felt a little bump or turbulence or whatever the case may be, you know, you always had to put on that face to the patient that, yes, we're going to make it, we're going to make it safely and you're going to be okay. And we're going to get you where you need to go. Um, so it, it was always nice to be able to do that. And, um, you know, unfortunately not all of our patients could interact with us, but when they could, um, it was always it was always nice to be that person for them. It's remarkable. You mentioned how critical this service is and how important it is to patients who are uh, aboard an air ambulance, and they're there for, for just that reason, because they have to get to somewhere in a hurry mm -hmm. with the injuries that they have. How important is that for a patient to have the ability to get aboard a helicopter and be someplace like that versus an hour drive by ambulance? It's extraordinarily important. 
Um, I like to take a look at our hospital and all the wonderfully technical, innovative things that we can do for our patients. So if you think about someone coming from our hospital that needs a different level of care, that's certainly saying the severity of their illness or injury because we do a lot here at Title Health Peninsula. Um, so being able to reduce that travel time is extraordinarily important. The other thing too um, that sometimes people don't necessarily think about is if you have a patient who has a lot of skeletal injuries, they have a lot of broken bones or a neck injury, um, an air ambulance ride is actually much less bumpy and can cause the patient um, actually a nicer trip just all the way around because they're not bumping around in the back of an ambulance. Um, so if if we have the opportunity to send a patient by air, um, we try to do that just because the, the time sensitivity and the, um, the smoothness of the ride. Let me ask you this. Were you ever worried about being in the air? Does it ever cross your mind or are you so focused on the job that you just don't think about it? Um, you know, when you first go through training, if it's not something that you're used to being in a helicopter and, and having that um, situational awareness of everything that's going on around you, um, it is a little anxiety provoking. Um, but when you get used to the sounds, the feel, um, your expectations from your pilot and your other provider, um, it's a really nice thing to do and you really don't think about it. Um, you know, fortunately for me and not everyone in the air ambulance business is so fortunate, but I didn't have any events that caused me to second guess my my desire to be in the back of a helicopter. Um, so um, most of the time, I didn't even think about it. <laughs> My family, on the other hand, probably thought about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, but they did. I know the birds that they're flying today are a lot bigger and more advanced than probably the helicopters you were in at mm -hmm. the time. And I'm sure that space aboard a medical helicopter is smaller than a traditional ambulance mm -hmm. bay. How do you work in that confined area? Is it difficult to, to in, in particular, mm -hmm. if you have a patient that requires a, a, a lot of work mm -hmm. and a lot of equipment that has to fly with that patient, is it difficult to work in that space? Um, for me, it wasn't. I'm not real tall. <laughs> for those that don't know <laughs> that me. That helps. <laughs> I'm not very tall, so I, I was fortunate in that aspect. We use a lot of space-saving um, technology as far as equipment that we are carrying for ourselves and our patients. Um, we certainly have um, suits that have lots of pockets where we can space-save as well from trying to keep things in drawers and all that good stuff. Um, it is different if you're not used to working in a confined space. Um, the The interesting thing about helicopters, too, is that um, depending on the service that is running the helicopter and what their primary patient focus is, um, they do outfit them specifically on the inside for certain things that they know they're going to transport on a regular basis. Um, for example, some of the um, pediatric specialty helicopters from Children's have different space makeup than perhaps some of the ones that come out of another um, healthcare facility with smaller helicopters. Um, the helicopter that I flew in um, was similar to, um, it was actually a Bell 412, so it was pretty big, um, and, and that was a bigger uh, space to work in, more the size of an ambulance in the back than some other ones that I'd been in. Um, but it, it definitely um, changes the way you think, and it puts your steps that you do things in perhaps a different order than you might do them elsewhere. And I think the hardest part about the space confinement is getting your patient in and out. Once they're in, it's good. <laughs> Trying to get them in and out is, is one of the most challenging things from a space perspective. Yeah, I can imagine that would be a tremendous challenge. 
you know where my office is. I'm in the old nursing dormitory, and I sit right on the corner looking directly across at the helipad. So mm-hmm. I see these ambulances, and as I said before, primarily Maryland State Police mm-hmm. helicopters landing uh, almost on a daily basis. How many actual landings per year do we have at Tidal Health Peninsula Regional, and do you know? I don't know the exact number, um, and in the role that I have now, I'm not as attuned to who's necessarily coming in versus who's going out. Um, We do transfer um, our fair share of patients every year by air, about 250 or so uh, likely go out by air ambulance. Um, Coming in, um, we certainly get helicopters that are bringing people to us for higher levels of care, in addition to the um, EMS helicopters like the state police bringing us patients. But it's I wouldn't even want to take a guess because it'll probably be wrong, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, it's it's hundreds, hundreds every year. Before your role as a chief nursing officer, you were in charge of the emergency mm-hmm. department. You directed the emergency department. How have things changed? Uh, we have had, by by my count, probably three or four different revisions of of helicopter landing pads at different locations on the ground where the old emergency Mm -hmm. department used to be up on the 77 building, the East Tower, now on the Layfield Mm -hmm. Tower, uh, a highly advanced uh, helipad up on the Layfield Tower. Mm -hmm. How have things changed uh, in, in that respect, in that regard over the years? Things have changed a lot, as you mentioned at the very beginning of the um, of the broadcast. Um, certainly, helicopter size has changed. Um, the material with which they're made has changed some. Um, rotor rotor span, um, tail rotors, all those things look a lot different as they progress through their uh, multiple iterations over the years. Um, some of our larger helicopter services, like the state police and the Coast Guard, um, with all the other technical rescue equipment that they all carry, it's very heavy. Um, so their weight certainly has increased over the years as well, um, causing us in turn to have the multiple iterations of the landing zones. So. Yeah, I want to talk a bit about the heavier helicopters uh-huh. in, a, in, in a bit, but taking you back to your role as the director of the Emergency mm-hmm. Trauma Center when you, when you were there, explain to me what happens when a critical patient uh, arrives. I know we, you know, you see the team go out, the mm-hmm. gurney goes out, there are there are medical personnel that go out. There there are security officers that go out with that team. Uh, what happens from the time that patient leaves the air ambulance to the point that they enter the emergency department? So when they, we are aware that a helicopter is coming with a patient, we get a report just like we would. Um, in the emergency room from an ambulance bringing a patient that's critically ill. We notify our security team so that they can um, ensure the safety and surrounding of the helipad. They go make sure there's no debris on the helipad. Um, Today's a great example. We had some snow and some ice and things like that, and that can be very dangerous if it's not addressed. So they make sure that the landing pad is safe. They also ensure that there's nobody in the area that should be not be in the area. Um, As the rotor blades come spinning closer to the landing pad, it does throw some wind. Um, and we want to make sure that even on the ground that there's um, some safety precautions in place. Um, when we know that the patient's coming and we're going to be landing, um, the ER folks, um, t- certainly usually um, nursing and technical folks, PCTs and ER techs, go up and meet the patient. Um, it's important to remember that the patient's coming with medical personnel too, so we just want to ensure that we direct them um, in their arrival to the ER. Um, Not everyone's been to our ER, and so we just make sure that they get a clear path uh, elevator-wise and everything down to the emergency room. 
Uh, it's good that you mentioned today's weather, and we're taping this on, what is today, February 12, mm-hmm. I think, and it is a little snowy, and it's a little icy out. And, and I think we still have this agreement with the Salvation Army, which mm-hmm. is just across the street from us, mm-hmm. and they have a football field on the corner of Eastern Shore Drive and Vine Street, mm-hmm. which I believe still operates as a secondary landing area for us mm-hmm. in the event that our helipad can't be used. Mm-hmm. Is that still the case? As far as I know, yes, that's the case. Um, fortunately for us, um, not every hospital has two helipads, but we do. Um, certainly the one on the ER has been closed intermittently for our COVID response with the tents and things. Um, so we have the one on the East Tower. But if for some reason both of our helipads were out of service or we have a helicopter that we cannot accommodate from a weight-wise or a rotor width perspective, we can land them on a bigger flat surface like the uh, Salvation Army. Just have to make sure it's not too muddy. We don't want them to tip over. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and at that point, then, it is an ambulance transport to the emergency yes, department, correct. which is a matter of... 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very quick trip. Mm-hmm. The other thing uh, we can do, and we have done in the past um, on multiple places that I've worked, um, we partner with the airports as well. And you can land helicopters at the local airports and arrive with an ambulance to take the patients to if it's um, the solid surface is too soft. I want to talk about those great big birds that cannot land on the helipad. Mm-hmm. And that is really an awesome sight. And I'm sure a number of people in Salisbury mm-hmm. have seen it when the Coast Guard flies in or our friends from the United States Navy at the Patuxent Naval Air Station across the Chesapeake Bay. When they come in, um, those helicopters are enormous and they have far too much weight mm-hmm. to land on the pad. So they do something that is really interesting uh, in in dropping patients to the helipad if necessary. Yes. Can you explain how all that works? So just like you said, if they're not able to land, uh, part of their training and part of their expectation, I would assume, um, is to be able to uh, lower safely a patient who's in need of medical care to the medical team receiving them on the helipad. Um, that presents a number of challenges. As you can imagine, that's not something we would do very often at all. So it certainly presents a heightened sense of anxiety and, and preparedness when we know that that's going to happen. Um, but they do do training uh, with us and our security team in particular on um multiple occasions throughout the year um, to make sure that, A, we know how our response needs to look when they're coming, and B, it gives them great practice of lowering their equipment down and making sure they know exactly where to lower that basket when they get here. To give people an idea of of how big these helicopters are that we're talking about, we can, on the Layfield pad, Mm -hmm. uh, withhold a Mm 15,000-pound helicopter landing there with a 45-foot Mm-hmm. rotor blade. So to give you an idea of just how big these Navy and Coast Guard helicopters are, they're enormous mm-hmm. that they can't land on that pad because that pad can pretty much accommodate anything yes. that's flying in. It can. And when you put it in perspective against the state police helicopter, which is in itself one of the biggest helicopters that we see in the area, um, it certainly does provide that that side-by-side comparative of how big those, some of those other ones are. It's a remarkable view, too, when they're, <laughs> when they're flying over and they're just doing the practicing. Uh, let's get you out of here on this, Sarah. I as I said, you're the chief nursing officer now. You have you have given up the role of the director of the emergency trauma center to advance to the executive role that you're in now. You're a flight nurse. You can never get that out of your system. I know that it's not the same, 
But do you still get the adrenaline? Do you, does it still get your blood pumping? Do you still wonder what's coming through the back door uh, every time you hear that helicopter? I do. Um, I always am curious what we're getting, what we're going to be able to take care of. But the adrenaline is different. It's this time. Um, I know that we have the staff to do it. We have exceptionally trained, very competent nurses, techs, respiratory, everyone that's involved in the care of a critically ill or injured patient. And it's it's a moment of, okay, we're going to have something else to be proud of because we, we know we can do it. We know we can take care of these patients. And so while I may not be hands-on with the patients any longer, um, it's always nice to be able to say that your staff came to work, did their best, and certainly helped someone have a better day. And we certainly do have a remarkably good staff yes, in that emergency do. trauma center at Title Health Peninsula Regional. Sarah, thanks for coming back in. Absolutely. Uh, it is always good to learn new things about you. <laughs> and it is really nice to talk about anything but COVID it sure when, we, is. <laughs> when we have you on the program. Yes. So I hope we'll have you back again. We'll find another topic. Yes. We'll learn more things about Sarah Arnett. <laughs> and we'll do this again soon. Yes, thanks. Have a great day. Thanks, Sarah. And that'll do it for this edition of Tidal Health On Point. Again, if you'd like to learn more about all of the great things going on at Tidal Health Peninsula Regional, hit us up on the website. That's TidalHealth.org. You can find us there. If you'd like to learn more about our emergency department and things that we're doing there, you can find all of that on the website as well. So for now, for Sarah, I'm Roger. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you again on the next episode of Tidal Health on Points.